tonight, I'm going to put you all through what I heard the first time, but I was listening to this pastor speak. He was talking about what we all think about, and he said, it's odd who makes it and who doesn't make it with the Lord. And he was talking about you can have someone who really loves God, knows him, even might even know their authority, has strength, loves him, but still will fail. Well, I was listening to what on earth is he talking about and how is he going to solve this? He's made a mess already in the pulpit now by bringing all this up if he doesn't bring some kind of good ending to this. And he talked about you can love God. Let's throw this in. Love yourself. Love others. And guess who this was? This was years and years ago. Brother Jacob was in the pulpit. And he said he's observed this all of his life. When there's one guy who sincerely loves God and another guy who sincerely loves God, what makes one person make it and the other one not? I think we should solve that. You know, if this is his observation that both love God, because you would think, well, it's one of these faults, one of these things not being in your life that causes you not to make it. How is he telling me that you could honestly love God and not make it? If both are true, love of God, both are truly called. Yet one makes it and one doesn't make it, then tonight's lesson is called personal inner strength. That it comes down to personal inner strength. This is whether you will make it or not. He said, I can't hardly even define what it is. But it comes down to whether you have personal inner strength. You know, we like to make it where it all depends on God or it depends on the fact of our motives or our intentions. But whether we fail or not comes down to something going on on the inside of you. And, of course, he uses one guy in the Bible. I'm going to use the same guy he did, but it's Joseph. What's so interesting about Joseph and his story is the fact that you can hardly find a flaw in this guy. Joseph is one of those guys that, just unlike all the other ones, you just don't see anything that's too bad wrong with the guy. But he said, honestly, he's the guy that's the model for personal inner strength. It will take you all the way across the finish line. So, you know, you think about him. He was the one in the family that was ridiculed. He was laughed at. Everybody was jealous of him. He was the favorite. They stripped off his coat. They tried to murder him. They put him in a hole. They sold him as a slave. He became a slave when he had been a son. So any of you who are a son, you understand that's not much difference. But anyway, so now he's a slave. And then he gets himself in trouble where he gets falsely accused. Then he becomes, of course, the prime minister of Egypt. So that's just kind of an outline of the guy that Brother Jacob was telling us is your model for what he would define is what got him through ministry. He said it's not only his love of God. He said it's a strength that you have to have inside of yourself. So I was thinking about it. I thought, I think a lot of pastors break under the stress or under the load. But if I was picking people out of the Bible, I would say prophets tend to make it. Like they have that personal inner strength. Like Daniel, like Jeremiah, like Joseph was a prophet. You see these type guys and they have what it takes. So we need to define what it is because we have other people in the ministry that break. But then you have someone that can have the strength to go through ministry. So the world applauds survivors. You know, in fact, you can get a t-shirt if you survive. And people are very happy with anyone who survives. And we all read the stories. I mean, we're watching the news. We're looking for those survivors. Ask yourself, was Joseph a survivor? Or was he a 
overcomer. We're always contrasting those two themes because in the world, they celebrate surviving. But what the Bible recommends to you is overcoming. And so you're going to make that distinction because the personal inner strength will take you from surviving to overcoming. The survivor person, honestly, they're working off of self-preservation. That's what they've got in gear. It's a God-given thing that God puts within each one of us to have self-preservation. But an overcomer is different. So I'm going to rest this story of Joseph right here. We'll come back to it. But I want you to reach down inside of yourself and see what you're made out of. Because that's the part of you who's really you. That's the part who nobody can see is what's inside of you is what is housed that is the true you. And that's where we're going to be looking for this strength. Because it is a strength. And we're going to see what you're made out of. Personal inner strength. I'm going to quote Spurgeon. Some of the best talks in the world are those which a man has with himself. So we're going to have a talk with ourselves tonight. And we're going to take a look at it. I brought my bag tonight. I want you to think about yourself in the same sense that you're a wineskin. So you're a bag. Now, don't be offended by that. We've had long, late-night talks about it, Aiden. But in Matthew and Mark and Luke, it all talks about being a wineskin, a bag. So I've got to ask you, what's in your skin bag? I mean, we get real upset with our skin bag. You know, sometimes it seems to go from pimples to wrinkles. I mean, it's just shocking how quick that the bag can do this. But you think you've got a bag, and what's it holding inside? Let's look right now and see what's inside of you. In my back, oh, well, here we are, right here. <laughs> in Philippines, they gave me this little precious purse. If you notice, it really is a bag. It is truly a real bullfrog that they have used. And, I mean, you can put your little favorite things down in your bag. I, some of you have warranted being a friend of mine close enough that I brought you one of these precious bags. Well... No matter what you look like, you can rejoice tonight. You don't look like this bullfrog. <laughs> and I thought you could kind of relate to this tonight, your little self and what your personal bag looks like. <laughs> in your wineskin, what do you hold? What's inside of your bag? Well, in your wineskin, you hold the glory of God. That's what you're filled with It's the glory of God. So your wineskin, your skin that you're made of, your bag is your container. Not many people in the world think of anything but they're outside of the bag. They don't think about what's inside of the bag. But down inside of him is his bag of who he is. So we're the wineskin and we're the bag. And that's what we're taking a peek at. And we're going to see what you're made out of. So you're looking inside of yourself for personal inner strength. And you're thinking about, how do I use my time? Do you use your time for your weakness? That all time goes to supply the need for your weakness? Or does your time go to the loudest voices in your life? You know, sometimes we respond to who's the loudest person, you know, who sounds like they have authority. You know, does your time go to your urgence or your emergencies? Inside of you, honestly, is it chaos? What is going on? If we need personal inner strength, we might should really consider this. Are you disorganized inside? I mean, sometimes everybody that's organized on the outside, it's because inside they're going crazy. You know, there's one of you, and I won't mention your name. They said when you got under pressure the other day, they said, what do you do? You go and clean. 
I need you. Come into my life. <laughs> but think about it. Isn't it funny that you can have chaos going on inside, but you're organizing on the outside because you feel like that's the only thing you can control. But what really is going to help you make the difference, make the distance, is what's going on inside. So if you're not organized and you're not peaceful, you can rarely have intimacy with God. If that's not what it needs to be, your only intimacy with God is when we get the music loud enough down here, we drown out the voices. Drown out what's inside of you so you can enter into the presence of God. But you're not really capable to get your nerves settled down enough. I think it's because of a disorganized past that we never realize that our true self is what's inside of us. Are you filled with joy? So you can laugh with faith. That you can have something come out of you that's not what's the normal reaction. Are you filled with courage? So you can rise up and take action. Do you have so much strength come over you that in the time of crisis, you can honestly hear the Lord, what he's telling you to do? What does it look like inside of your bag, your container? What's going on inside of there? Because that's where I can't see. Unless the Lord opens my eyes to what's going on inside of you, you are responsible for your bag. It's your personal place. It's your inner place. What's going on? So failing on our end. I think John made this statement to me and the staff. Most people think that when they die to self, that means that they just quit applying themselves to anything. That, that die to self means they let something bad happen to them. They see themselves as really powerless. And we're talking Christians now. We're not talking the world. They see themselves like a puppet. They think I'm a puppet or kind of like a radio-controlled robot. People who look at themselves and what they do and the choices they make, they tend to think that that's how God is doing you that you literally are just responding to whatever circumstances are thrown at you, that's how you react to it. Because there's not any real strength on the inside of you that you know what to do when a crisis or a situation comes towards you. You can't seem to separate it out or apply it. And so what I would call this is what this parable says. You've got a skin, but it rips apart. It's the ripping of the wineskin. We just don't hold up to it. If it rips, it says in Mark, it makes the tear worse, which is an unusual way to state it. If it starts to rip, it makes the tear get worse. And then it says that the wineskin actually burst and the contents pour out. And then it says you lose everything you've got. Well, that's a horrible picture to think of. You lose everything. What we need to be doing with the glory of God that's inside of us. So this is failing. If I was describing personal inner strength, first I think of the wineskins. I think of the bag. I think of what holds it. But second, I think of something, and that's what I'd call the roots. We've talked about having roots. That part of what makes it where you have roots inside of yourself. You know, this still gets me. This whole concept of having roots inside of yourself. You would think that when the Bible talked about you having roots, it's in Matthew 13, it's the parable of the sower, you would think when the Bible said to make it, you've got to have roots, and you would think it would say roots in God. You know, that'd be the most natural thing. 
But the Bible actually says you've got to have roots in himself. The guy has to have roots in himself. This goes along exactly with what Brother Jacob was saying. It's not the fact that you say, oh, I've got to have roots in God. It's you've got to have roots in himself. Like a guy, you know, he had no roots in his family. You know, I told you I was watching that young man. Yeah, he had a rough background. Yes, he had rough things happen to him. It was honestly when I was watching this guy and I was asking the Lord, does he have enough roots to make it through this? He was a young man and he was at Bible school. The adults weren't acting the way they should be acting and he had to drive back. And I watched him and there was a way the kid hung his head. And I had just read this scripture in Matthew 13, 21. It's in the New American Standard where they translate it in himself. And I just read it. And I said to myself, I wonder if the guy has enough roots to make it through this. And I started asking the Lord, does he have enough roots? You know, we talk a lot about self. This is where there's a lever inside of you, where you must have enough roots to make it. Oh, I felt bad for him. I mean, he had had a bum deal on his first family, and this second family he had been adopted into, it had made it worse. It was compounded on him. He didn't have roots in his personal life. I'd not seen strength out of him. I'd seen a lot of addictions. He didn't have roots in love. There was no one that I could really say really loved this kid. I didn't think his roots were mature enough to have the relationship with God that he needed. What it was going to depend on this night was did he have enough roots in himself to make it back to that Bible school? Well, he didn't make it that night. I think my mom would be the only one that knows where he is in life at this moment. But everything was going against him. And it doesn't mean that just because you've had a bad background, it doesn't mean because you've come out of hard things that you can't make it, because I've seen kids come out of good homes and not have enough roots to make it. Why? They didn't have to grow roots. Their parents did everything for them. So having roots is not based on your circumstances. What is it based on? I haven't solved that yet. I don't know exactly what causes some people to have that steel, that strength that they need inside to make it. But this is so important because we can teach Bible studies, but unless it's going into a system to build strength, you won't have the stability you need to make it through what life storms and what life will throw at you. So we have rootless people, rootless adults, rootless Christians. You know, having roots in yourself. What part of the tree do you not see? The roots. The roots are not seen. And that's what we're taking a peek at. You know, when you look at Matthew 13 or you look at it in the book of Mark or Luke, it talks about the parable of the sower. And most of the time when people speak on it, they speak on it like it's a heart principle, like heart perspective. What kind of heart do you have? They go through the different kinds of hearts. Or sometimes I've heard people and they speak on it as the different kinds of soil. And they say that what's planted in it is the word of God. Jesus tells us that the seed is actually the word of God. And I get tickled because he said, sometimes you're throwing the seed just out there and some of it lands on good ground and some doesn't. But he gives different sorts of ground. But I've never heard anyone take it from the perspective of roots. When you look at it in Matthew 13, 
honestly, it's showing you that three quarters don't make it. Like they don't end up bearing fruit. So if three quarters don't bear fruit, I want us to look at it from roots. One guy has no roots. The next guy has no roots. You can make a case that the third one has shallow roots. But you know, the truth is, I didn't even lay it out the way that Jesus did. He actually took the rocky ground and where I would have said that creates shallow roots, he called it no roots. So if it's no roots on the rocky ground, what would it look like if you threw it on the pavement out here? You know, the hard beaten path. Yeah, it's talking about roots. And then it says that the ones that will bear fruit, you've got some deep roots into the good soil. So the soil of the heart plowed so that the word of God will take root in you. In the first one where the enemy will not grab out of your heart what God has planted in there. Now I want to do another dilemma for a minute. Since we're talking about something unseen on your body and unseen on the tree, I want to look at something. Sometimes you go, oh, just the conditions in my life are too hard. Like there's a parable Jesus tells and he talks about the guys that went out and they worked and the sun was bearing down on them. Well, you think surely that wouldn't be Jesus calling me out to the sun. I know I can rebuke this. I know he wouldn't require that of me. But this is the parable where it's the most insulting. I mean, it's where everybody gets the same wages. Well, this is an interesting aspect here because this is talking about how the sun relates to the plant. Let's use both the sun and the heat. Why does the sun and the heat scorch the plant that's without roots? But if the plant has roots, it doesn't scorch it. Different effects. Same plant, same sun. The sun feeds one and the sun kills the other. The plant is not getting enough out of its root system. It's very unusual to me that the sun can cause one plant to come alive and the sun can wither the next one. When I was looking at this, I thought, wow, the only difference for that plant is the roots. It's whether you can get a good root in life. So not enough roots, not enough of the right stuff on the inside of you, and you're going to get your outsides whipped. You're going to look scorched and withered. And it's not going to go well for you. And it's not the sun's issue. It's not whether you were out in the sun and scorched or not out in the sun. The sun has different effects on whether a person has the roots to handle it. It'll bring the right thing out of you. It'll actually bring the fruit. So having that strength on the inside, what does strength on the insides look like? Well, I'm fixing to say one of the scariest things I can say to you especially at this age, especially if I give you the word Jeremiah 15. Those prophets, Jeremiah 15, it says you stand alone. And the one thing people seem to fear the most is being alone. And like I told you, the prophets tend to make it. So right now I want you to consider that strength on the inside is that you get away from the fear of being alone. There's a difference between being alone and being lonely. Lonely is that thing where the devil messes with your head. But being alone is something that requires strength. You know, you face your Goliath alone. And you will face judgment alone. So there's something to be said of just you and God. I think when we talk about strength, we have to talk about this moment. Because in here you feel close. You feel the strength of each other. 
but honestly, a lot that has to do with personal inner strength is what you do alone with God. Think about this. The person who brought you to Bible study walks out on the first time you're here and leaves you by yourself in Bible study. How about this? I can never go down and eat in the cafeteria alone. <laughs> Invite someone to go with you for the first time. Now, this runs off the rest of them. If on your first time here, they call on you publicly to pray alone. You know, it's that unseen realm. It's whether you have the roots to make it. The world says we need self-esteem. The Bible says we need roots. So the assignment, when you're looking at what God has for you to do in life, do you have the roots to do it? You know, I've wondered, I've really wondered what makes some kids make it and others do not. I want to solve that because of what I do. And we have to address this thing of you having that personal inner strength. What we do daily, every single day of our life, is work with root systems. And we're trying to help you develop the roots you're going to need. What causes someone not to make it? What causes someone to make it? Let's pick back up on Brother Jacob's perfect example. Surely, if we look into his life, we can figure out what it is in Joseph that gave him the strength to make it. I mean, we read him and think, oh, I don't want that to happen to me. Now, let's review back to the scripture that we just used out of a different lesson that pertained to Joseph. It's in Psalm 105, 19. And it says, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. So what does that mean? Joseph was given a word, and so he's being tested until his word comes to pass. He has a dream, and the dream that he has testing. Did you know the dreams that God gives you test you? It's the interim period. That's the testing. There's a lapse. You know what true faith is? Having faith for delays in your life. <laughs> That's the hardest part. The little lapse of time, it can do a number on you. That long time that Joseph spent, did that encourage him? Strengthen him? It tested him. So I'm going to take Joseph's life, and we're not going to read all of it. You can start Genesis 37 and start reading about Joseph. But I want to show you the things that I think had something to do with this because I'm looking for the answer. What causes real strength in me? What will make it where I can make it to the end, where I can endure to the end? So I'm going to say in Genesis 37, I've about decided that it has a lot to do with the prophetic provoke. Now at another time, we'll study a little bit about it. But I dare say my other friends in ministry who study prophecy, I haven't heard them come up with the same idea, but you see if you're seeing this in here. So in Genesis 37, verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Now, you know, it says it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but his other name is Israel. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Now, this is really good because there's 12 of them. This is small competition. And it says because he had been born to him in his old age. And so he made a very ornate coat for the guy. And when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And they could not even speak one kind word to him. 
So he got his old dad's love, but he got everybody else's hate. Now, why would God do this to this guy? This is the environment that he's living in. He's young. He's got all his older brothers hating him, and God gives him a dream. Now, have you noticed what God does to our life? This is what I was telling you on God testing us. He gives him a dream in verse 5. So it sets you up to say, this is his environment. This is his home life. And then Joseph has a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, hey, listen to this dream I had. We were out binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheave rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. <laughs> Sounds like a young man, doesn't it? His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? <laughs> Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream and what he had said to them. But God, he's not through. So, what does God do to solve this dilemma? All of you who are praying for peace in your household? Verse 9. Then Joseph had another dream. And he does the same thing. He tells his brothers, Listen, I've had another dream. I don't know what Joseph is thinking, but worked well the first time. Let's do it a second. And he said, And this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Isn't that a unique number? Eleven stars are bowing to me. I wonder if they got the analogy. I think they did. When he told his father this time, as well as his brothers, even his father rebuked him. I mean, let's just put it. Israel rebuked him and said, what is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Oh, he's like, my gosh, some of these youthful kids. But notice what it says. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept it in mind. You know, that shows you your old man can be telling you, you're out of your head, but don't think about what you said. And it doesn't say anything about what all this did to Joseph. The scripture's silent on it. And I was thinking about it, you know, all my life, you know, you try plugging this square peg into a round hole and you think, well, maybe I should have not told the brothers or maybe he should have had a little more maturity and I mean if you enjoy reading commentaries they're all having something to say about Joseph shouldn't have done something that he managed to do and then tonight I was wondering is it because what I've seen from prophecy is it will provoke us there's a prophetic provoke maybe until it makes you good rip-roaring and mad it isn't a really good prophecy so everyone's in a mess in the family and God's best idea is to send the kid to have a dream about himself. And if he was going to just hide it like all the commentary said, then what does that do to witness to the guys? I mean, so he just gets a dream and has visions of grandeur inside of himself, hides his prophecy. No, maybe that's what prophets do. Maybe they speak it. I don't know. But think of that person that irritates you the most. There is something to be said for how provoking a prophecy can be. Let's keep reading about them. Verse 23, when Joseph came to his brothers, they knew how to take care of a kid like this. You know how men are. They can kind of get a guy down to his size. They're going to uh, let him know the pecking order and who pays homage to who. That's what seniors do to the lowly freshmen. You have to let the kid know who he is. So what they do is they strip him of his robe. They take his ornate robe he's wearing 
and they decide they're going to kill the guy. But then at last they go, well, he's a brother. Just because we have the same blood, I think we won't kill him. Let's just throw him down in this hole. So they took him and they threw Joseph without his robe on down into the cistern. The cistern was empty and down he goes into it. Long story short, they take the robe and they take it back to daddy covered in blood and they said, oops, your favorite. <laughs> he met an untimely oops. So life goes on and they decide, well, maybe we should make some money off of this. You know, why should we just let him die in a hole when we could make money. You got to think reasonably. I mean, never seeing him again is a good idea. And so either we can never see him again in the hole or never see him again with money in our pocket. <laughs> so the guys, they give him, it's so funny in scripture. It uses the two different words in this one, but it's the Ishmaelites. Now, Ishmael, that's hilarious being the patriarchs, kinfolks. I mean, there are somewhere there's an uncle in there. So they're coming along, and they were like, good, we'll take him. We'll sell him as a slave to Egypt. Anyway, Joseph ends up going from being the favorite son to being in a different foreign country, and he's going to be made a slave. You know what I can say right now about Joseph? He stayed who he was called to be. And I found out what it seems like in life, if you haven't figured it out by now, they're trying to beat it out of you. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just stay who you're called to be. If your wife is trying to beat out of you who you are, sometimes the best thing to be is who you are, who you're called to be. And sometimes you tell them what they most don't want to hear from you. And sometimes that is the right thing to do. And maybe it wasn't immaturity. Maybe he's more mature than all of us. Maybe Joseph just let people know who God had called him to be, while the rest of them were being less than what they were called to be. So I was thinking, maybe it's that hard-headedness that makes no sense to the world. Like, if you're wanting to keep peace and conflict and all that out, do it the other way. Follow your commentary's advice. But I don't know with the Lord. Sometimes this is the way that he approaches it. So at this point now, Joseph has been taken down into Egypt in verse 39. And Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So this guy is in the military. He's put him in his household. And when his master saw the Lord was with him, very unusual to think of a country like Egypt, seeing that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord gave Joseph success in everything he did. It was a witness to the guy. It was a witness to the guy that he puts him in charge of every single thing in his household. It listed out in the next verses of everything he put him in charge of. Because when you see a guy that's successful, you want him running your place. And that's how the guy looked at it. He was like, this guy knows what he's doing. So he recognized the Lord was with him. It's unusual what people that don't know the Lord personally will do with you. But then there's the next part in verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. So his master's wife took notice of Joseph. <laughs> now, I just want to make a little of a contrast here with Joseph. She had plans of what to do with this guy having <coughs> the Lord on him. She could recognize it right off. A guy like this must be sent from the Lord. Yeah. So sometimes the wrong people get a hold of the person that has favor on them. And that's what happens to Joseph here. Both took notice of the guy. Both saw that he had success. 
the only thing is, Potiphar wasn't like Joseph. He didn't stay who he was. He didn't stick to what he saw. He saw a guy that was exceptional. He saw a guy that had the Lord on him, and he saw a guy that was successful. But when it spun a different way, don't tell me this is the first time the lady had ever told a lie to him. Don't tell me this is the first time that Mrs. Potiphar had ever come up with a fabricated thing. I don't understand why men will know that someone slanders and lies and still believe them on the next round. I don't know why. I've never figured it out. Very few people will have one person lie to them and from then on say, you know, you're going to have to earn your trust back. You're going to have to verify. So it amazes me that a guy who reads people, who's a commander, that he doesn't stick to who he is and what God's told him. No personal inner strength. The guy has to have roots in himself. But you're going to be a person that has strength in you, who has the Spirit of the Lord in you, and then people don't know how to handle you. And this is what takes place here. So Mrs. Potiphar gets a hold of him. You know the story. When she doesn't get what she wants, she claims that Joseph pushed himself upon her. It's really interesting because she says, no one has to know. Like, I can make this where no one knows. I think most people think, well, I'll go as far as that person's willing. Like, as far as in the world, if you have someone who's your superior, your boss, I mean, he could have just said, yes, ma'am, like he did to everything else. So it's interesting when, as a man, that you don't realize that, that your life is really going to be measured by what you're able to say no to. Joseph does a very interesting job in how he describes why he has to say no at this point. But we can never forget Genesis 39 verse 9, that he ends it with saying, how could I do this wicked thing and sin against God? It's a famous line. He made it be about God. So he wasn't the type of man that just was an opportunist, that just whatever life threw at him, or I'm going to go as far as the other person will take me or, or lets me go. You know, if you're going to be this person with inner strength, you've got to decide where your lines are and what you're going to do and not let someone else change who you are. A lot of times what you're finding out as you're growing up, people are testing you. They want to see if you'll stand up or if you'll fall and be like everyone else. You can really be that man of God if you'll distinguish yourself at this moment. You see, with Joseph, the Word of God was still testing him. She didn't like it, and the master doesn't like it. And he listens to his wife scream and her story she tells, and he forgets all he knows about people who can't tell the truth, and he forgets what he knew about Joseph. And he does the worst thing. He lets Joseph be able to go to prison for an indeterminate amount of time. I mean, it looks like he was set for a life sentence for raping his wife. So that's where it ends. You see yourself and you can be doing the right thing and have the wrong thing happen to you and still have the favor of God on you, still have success on you. Wow, no wonder Brother Jacob chose this story. You know, this isn't the storyline that I like when I quote my favorite verses. I have a friend, she always sends me favorite verses, but it's funny that this can be someone who has that strength. You know, maybe that's why the New Testament says that the prophets among us were men of whom the world is not worthy. This is what happens to Joseph. When the master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. He had no 
rational thought in his head. Like we said, emotions, they have no thoughts. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, and he put him where all the other king's prisoners were confined. He had the power to do it, and he did it. And so you see the strength of the man actually works against him. So at this point, when Joseph was put in prison, you still see this personal inner strength on him. Look in verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, you can imagine what prisons in that day and time look like. One thing I've done in touring the nations of the world is I go into prisons. And what prisons look like today is shocking. But back then, we can only imagine what those prisons look like. But here you see Joseph, and he was in the prison. But guess what? Someone was with Joseph. This time he had someone with him. Verse 21, it says, and the Lord was with him. You can see Joseph, and he's growing. Look at this, and the Lord was with him. You know, sometimes in our hardest parts of our life, it's the time when you most feel the Lord with you. You know, I told you I fell in love with a man in uniform. When I met him, he was a World War II veteran. He was a colonel, and he had courage like no one I'd seen. He's the guy who taught me the red is dead. He was in all three wars, both the, the World War Twos in Korea. He was also in Vietnam. You read his book of extraordinary things that God does with an ordinary man. And he told me his story, and you were like, is this possible, what God can do with just ordinary people? But he tells about a time when an angel stood before him and said, you're about to endure time in prison. He's a chaplain. He got to visit the inside of Levensworth. Read his book. It says our government tore up the papers that showed the time he was in prison. You know why he got sent to Levensworth as a chaplain? Because he stood up to corruption. He told me how he got framed, and he told me why they placed him in prison. I see this as what this verse means in verse 21. And the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness. You know, a lot of times the Lord will come to you, and he doesn't want you going through something like this. And so he's extra with you. And he granted me favor in the eyes of the prison warden. You know, what I see in Joseph here is he never got mad at God. He never started doing the why. He never ever said this doesn't work the way you would think. He just kept that personal inner strength. Is this a man that you may have to look at at times in your life? Yes. And so it was at this point that he had favor again. And, you know, he didn't make any cynical remarks like, well, I see where favor got me the last time. Or, oh, it's great being God's chosen people. Chosen. Phooey. Look what chosen does for you. <laughs> he doesn't say, I'll never prophesy again after what started this mess. Does he? It doesn't tell us anything. It doesn't tell us what happened. But there were men thrown in prison who were from the king's service. And they had dreams. And Joseph does what he's made to do. He continues with his gifts. If you ever quit using your gifts that God gives you, you will stay in prison. I wrote that down for myself. If anything ever breaks me and I quit doing what I'm made to do, if I leave being what God called me, like where he spoke to my dad from the time I was born and misspelled my name to mean the message, if I ever quit, you stay in prison. Oh, it'll get you thrown in prison, but you'll stay there forever. And that's where I see Joseph, and that's what I realized about him. You can't ever quit doing what God called you to do. Maybe you should even turn it up more. Maybe preach a little harder. You remember Paul and Silas. Because 
your gifts are what's made for your freedom. It's what takes you out of captivity. So in verse 12, it says, Joseph said to him, your dream, this is what it means. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me. Oh, my goodness. I've done studies deep into the night of the times in the Bible it says, remember me. You know, you see Joseph put this in the middle of it. When all goes well with you, remember me. People won't remember you, even when you do your gifts, even when you tell them what God says. So it says, when it goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. And please give me a little mention to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I mean, he wants so much of a saint, he wanted to stay there. There wasn't so much favor with running the whole prison that he wanted to make a life job out of it while the warden did other things and he did his job. He tells him a little bit about it. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, even though I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. He leaves out the brothers. The next guy comes up to him. He said, your dream, this is what it means. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. Now, I had to put this one in there because the lift of the head and going back to your position and the lift of the head and put it on a pole are a little different. And then it says, and the birds will eat your flesh. So he didn't ask this guy to remember him. <laughs> Genesis 40, verse 23. It ends this section with Joseph prophesying. And the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. It says it in two different ways. He not only did not remember, but he forgot. The desperate man. It doesn't say a word about his emotional battles, Joseph. It doesn't say that Joseph went through torment and just said, this is the final straw, this is the breaking point, this is my last chance. It doesn't say about his emotions. It doesn't say about his thoughts. It doesn't say anything about his struggle. But it does say in Genesis 41, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. What man can't do for you, God can do. And I've had sometimes the best chances to get out of hard places. That's why it's hard for me to ever get excited when someone has a plan to get me out of my trouble. It never seems to work, no matter how good it is. And I love good plans, but I quit reading Nancy Drew. It doesn't seem to get you out of spiritual quandaries. So they said there's a man, Pharaoh, that can take care of this dream. In fact, now that all your magicians and your... Wise men have said what they said. I'm remembering now, there's a guy in prison. He's a great guy. I vaguely remember what he looks like, but let's go see if he's there. And so it says that Joseph took the time to shave, change his clothes. So it shows you what prison life looked like an ambassador of God. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Guess what Joseph said to that? No. Measured by what you're able to say no to. You would think he would be clawing at this point. I mean, he's in front of the most powerful nation. And he says, I've heard about you. I've heard about your gift. And he says, no, I cannot do it. Verse 16, this guy's not broken. I mean, this is his chance. I mean, the men blew it, so now God's giving it to him, and he tells him, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. 
but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Personal inner strength. I can't do this to God. You know, praise, it's not just confinement that tests you, but praise tests you. That sounds like a good lesson. Maybe someday I should teach on praise test you. <laughs> Some of you have been in the slave quarters typing it. But uh, verse 39, then Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning as you are, Joseph. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit, such a great word, to all your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took out his signet ring, and he took it from his finger, and he put it on Joseph's finger. You write the checks. You write the laws. He dressed him in robes of fine linen, and he put a gold chain about his neck. He looks like a, one of those people on wrestler nights. He had him ride in a chariot as second in command, and the people started shouting before him, Make way! And thus he's put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or a foot in all of Egypt. It's called authority. Pharaoh gave Joseph a name and a wife, and you do have to see the humor. Potiphar, uh, Potiphar, uh, that's her name. Now, can you imagine you have to say that name to yourself the rest of your life? She is the daughter of Potiphar, uh, a priest of On. And was his wife. So Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years of age. The year that David became king. The year that Jesus started his ministry. When he entered into the service of Pharaoh. And as you know, Joseph's dream comes true. And his fathers and brothers are more than happy to bow to this Egyptian ruler. We see that Joseph has the strength to do what God had created inside of him. So, in this tidy little story of personal inner strength and us all measuring ourselves against it, when it's written up in the Heroes of Faith and Hebrews 11 goes down, and if any of you look in your Bible app, I will shoot you over this, but if you're looking at the Heroes of Faith, which thing does the author of Hebrews say that was what Joseph did by faith? What did he do? Yeah, of all the noble things that Joseph did, what on earth did Joseph do by faith? I mean, you could list forever. I've read to you the verses and scriptures. I've summarized them. If you want to, you read them Genesis 37 yourself. Read through. You want to hear what made him in the Hebrew Hall of Faith? Brother Jacob told me, study the book of faith. I told him, I said, I know another girl who her father handed her the whole ministry. He goes, she's unproven. She means nothing. You need your name in here. Don't study her. Study this. These prophets, they stand alone. Hebrews eleven twenty two. By faith, Joseph, when the end was near, spoke about something that was going to take place. Here he is, ruler. No one puts a foot on the ground without his say-so. And he says, there will come a day our people will exodus the Israelites from Egypt. He's been given the kingdom, and he says, and we will leave it. And he says, and when you go, take my bones with you and bury them in the Holy Land. 
Ooh, it gave me chills thinking about a prophetic act. Do you see what he's saying? Who do I identify as an Egyptian? It's only a garb. You know, they say, wear the world loosely. Because what's really inside of you, the clothes of the world hide what's really in the inner man. He may have looked like an Egyptian on the outside. He may have looked like an Egyptian to your eyes. But on the inside, he was a man of God. That's what personal inner strength looks like. Out of everything that Hebrews can say made Joseph the man of faith that he is, it was the fact he said, take my bones with you. 400 years would go by, and you will read the story carefully, and with them, they took Joseph's bones. Because it said the Pharaohs began to forget Joseph, and they took them from being rulers, protected in the land of Goshen, to becoming slaves. Where he wanted his bones, let me tell you your assignment. You've been in the thick of the world. Egypt didn't change him. And God will call you into places where you will have personal inner strength. That's what Joseph had, just you and God. So we're going to have to up the ante tonight of what we expect out of ourselves. I hope it's not a hole in the desert, a bunch of angry brothers, a rape charge, and a little bit of jail time in a prison. But you're going through something to prepare you for what you're going to do. I would tell the Lord, let me just build personal inner strength the old-fashioned way. I just need your strength, Lord. In the mornings, God, give me strength for this day. As my days, as my strength. The Hebrew word, moz, strength. Such a beautiful thought. God, you're my strength, that you have the big shoulders. They're big enough for me. You know, it means that you're going to have to stand up for what you really believe. Take some action. Stand up for truth based on what you know about the Lord. Oh, yeah, you'll do some form of not tolerating. When everyone else is preaching tolerance, you'll not be tolerating. Never quit. Never say die. You know, Jesus screamed out, You won't take my life. I will lay it down for you. It won't be murder. It'll be love. And he let us know it with that last scream that came out of him. You see what he's doing. Devil, you didn't get me. God, I give myself to you. That's what it's supposed to look like. To you, Lord, I commend my spirit. And you want to go the easiest route. You don't want to be uncomfortable. You pride yourself that you go to the hardest person. And I say the hardest person on us should be us. That's what it means to have personal inner strength. Amen.